you know, we've been doing a series on the gospel at the campuses. And this morning, when I, we talked about, you know, what God does as an individual when you get faced with the gospel. And the gospel means good news. I remember it's sometimes it's bad. Remember those little Bibles we used to have at a Catholic school? It's good news for modern man. But sometimes it's been bad news for modern man because... They look at it, well, I don't want anything. And then you see, see our society and you see things going away from God and how things are being acceptable. You have Christian artists that are coming out and saying, you know, that, that they, they have this different lifestyle and, and they're not going to do that. And then we need to be understanding to that. When, when you look at the Bible, there's no justification for that lifestyle. Then you have other people that are coming out and just saying, you know, we don't need to. There's this whole movement right now. They had a church that actually stopped a, a band, a Christian Christian band that was coming into their church because they found out they didn't believe in creationism. They haven't, you know, they, 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 they believe in evolution. And you're just like, wow, what's going on? And it's like, and I said, begin to read the other day in, in, in the Gospels and actually in the epistles and how God was, how Paul was speaking is in the last days, men's and women's minds would be seared. With the tr- against the truth. It's like there would be like a thing where they're just blinded. And my, my desire this morning, I'm going to talk a little, I'm going to talk about marriage, but not just marriage this morning, the gospel in your marriage. But not only that, but, you know, what the gospel and what it does in our own hearts and what it does in our own lives. And that's why we need to see, we need to get God's perspective. That's why I said, God, give us Jesus contact lenses. So we begin to see like God sees things and then we begin to feel things that God feels because you'll never do that unless you have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And people get discontent, they get, get discontent because, you know, well, Christianity isn't, you know, everything that I thought it would be. No, it's, it's, it's my will being crossed by the will of God. How many of you want to do things sometimes? Come on. How many of you, you know, if people just really saw you, how many of you have ever just been fashed? You know, fashe, let me, mad in French. How many of you ever just been mad and you want to say a few adjectives that make you feel better? Come on, anybody want to confess? We, okay, we're going to admonish you. We're going to absolve you this morning, all right? But there's times, how many of you have ever just wanted to get angry? How many of you have just ever wanted to tell a lie because it would be more convenient? How many of you have just just kind of tried to cover up? All right, man, guys, put it in You've tried to cover things up because if you got really exposed, people would think something of you, then you're really not. How many of you like us to roll the video of your life this week on the screen this morning? See, to us, we go, oh, no. I mean, literally, we'd be busting, we'd be rocks. You know, the rocks ain't going to praise you. You're going to knock out a screen. You know what I mean? Because, but see, here's the gospel. The, the thing I love is that what God does is God takes people that walk around in clothes that are clothed with death, and he gives us grace clothes. What is grace clothes? It's, like, it's literally like the prodigal son. Remember when he, when he came in? I'm going somewhere, I promise today. I'm, I'm, I'm warming up. The prodigal son, remember he put a ring on his hand, represented, you know what? You then signet my name. You have my name. Then he put shoes on his son that represented only free men had sandals. God's given you sandals that walk in freedom, to walk in his freedom. And then he also gives grace clothes. He clothed him with a cloak. And it's like God's going, I don't see all that anymore. You've been washed by the blood of my son. And you know what? Now you can come into my presence with your grace clothes. And I don't look at that. I see that, you know what? You've been forgiven. You're set free. 
You have a purpose. You have a reason why you're here today. And see, the reason I'm here today is just, if I want to say anything this morning, you know what? God's the same God. The same God that rescued the children of Egypt, out of Egypt, the children of God out of Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt. He's the same God that worked miracles in the New Testament, in the book of Acts and Ephesians. And you see Paul's ministry. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and for whatever your future holds for you. Amen. And so I believe this. I come in here filled with faith, believing that God has something for you this morning. Amen. So we talked about what God, what the gospel does as an individual in our lives. But, and, but this morning and what it does in a church. But this morning we're going to talk about what the gospel does in a marriage. If you're sitting next to your spouse, just tell them to take notes this morning. All right. No, you both need to go. I mean, so here it is. It's been it's it's been uh, believed that that all marriages, Christian and non-Christians, have a fifty percent chance of making in marriage. How many you've heard that? It's just the same, same as the world. But you come to find out, it was actually an inaccurate number, and it's actually projected that in the late seventies and the early eighties. Here, here are some accurate actual statistics about marriage: twenty to twenty-five percent of Christian marriages will end in divorce, which is half of the previous number. Okay? That's good news. Among churchgoers, it's more likely in the single digits, in the low digit, in the low teens. 80% of marriages are happy, which goes to face the, the, the popular belief. But here it is. Among active, and I want to say, I don't want to just say churchgoers, but I believe active Christians who pra- practice godly living that honor God in their marriage, hello, there's a big difference. You can come to church and sit on your blessed assurance and say, Jesus is mine, and everything's fine. But the reality is when you walk out the doors, that's really who you are. That's who you are. And see, you know, when I I think about this, you know, we need a fresh vision for our marriage. This isn't in your notes. This is Lanyap, what I'm going to tell you right here. One of the things you need, you need a, for your marriage, your marriage should provide a purpose for the, for, for, for the process of marriage. You, you know what? If you have a vision, how many have a vision of marriage? I mean, when I was getting married, I remember I waited. I, I, before I knew the Lord, I, just, I was just whatever. And I, when I gave my life to the Lord, I said, God, I'll never tell a girl I love her until the next words come out of my mouth. Will you marry me? And it's, it's, you know, and I made a commitment. I'm not going to touch a girl. I'm not going to do any of that because my, my former lifestyle was all of that other stuff. And I said, God, I want to honor you. And you know what? I mean, and, and kind of by, by the grace of God, listen to me. I've learned this. When it got hot in the kitchen, it's time to get out. But my wife and I, have been, we celebrated 30 years of marriage. Now, listen to me. I didn't tell her I loved her until I asked her to marry me. I didn't lay a hand on her until we got married. And we have six children, so we don't need to go there. And we have five grandchildren. And then my oldest son, my oldest son, Zach and Claire, that are starting a campus in Crowley, they made that commitment. They made that commitment. Pastor Josh and Lindsay made that commitment. Now, Jamie and Cheryl, they were already just, they were together. There's nothing I could do about that. But anyway, there's nothing I could do about it. But, but what God's done, 
in their lives is nothing less than a miracle. And so here it is. You need, you know, you know, you need a fresh vision for your marriage because that produces pride. That produces, you know, a purpose and it clarifies the direction you want to walk in. You know, I need direction. How many of you know if you don't have direction, you don't know where you're going? You remember that little, remember the little cartoon? He goes, oh, but, oh, but, oh, which way did he go? You remember that? When you're a kid, and we're kind of like that. And you know, like, wait, 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 which way did he go? Which way did he go? And see, without having a purpose, without having, you know, clarification for direction, you don't know which way you're going. There's a lot of people that sit in churches all across America and all across the world, and they don't even know why they're there. They have no direction. So if you're not going somewhere and you have a purpose or a vision for something, you don't know what you're going to do to you. And when you get there, you don't even know why you're there. Does it make sense? And next thing you need is, you know what? You have a fresh vision. You invites unity. How many of you know in marriage you don't always agree? Do I need to open up for discussion? Okay. You don't always agree. But you can agree to say, hey, we're going to trust God. I love it the other day, my son and my, one of my sons, I'm going to say who it was, but one of my sons and his wife, they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with certain things. So they called me and Tracy over because they couldn't find agreement. In other words, they couldn't find unity. They're godly people. And they're like, we're just mad. I mean, we just can't. And it was kind of nice. You know, it's like, you inviting us? So we just let them sit there and everything and then. What we did is basically said, you're being stubborn to my son. She's right and you're stubborn. I thought you were going to be on my side. They're thinking, you know, now we're not here to take sides. We're here to go. This is what God wants. You know, you see, it's not a matter of if I agree with you or you agree with me. It's or you know what you got to decide in your marriage is whether or not God is saying this is the direction you need to take. Just like when Joshua was praying and needed to know before the, he would go to J- face Jericho. And he saw the, the Lord of hosts appeared to him. The captain of the Lord of hosts. And, he, and Joshua goes, whose side am I? Whose side are you on? And he said, I'm not me. I came to take over. You see, when we give it to God, we allow him to take over our marriage. How many of you know it's better if God takes care of your marriage than you? Quit riding Mr. Ed, okay? Just The next thing is. You know, it provides, it provides passion. How many of you need some passion in your marriage? Don't raise your hand. Passion and energy. Passion and energy come from the heart. You know what? It's, it's a heart thing. So, so what happens now, now that you give, now, now that I'm give, trying to give you some hope and give you a little vision, the world and Satan want you to be hopeless in your marriage so that if you fail, you can justify that having Jesus in your life makes no difference at all. But see, the only pro, that only proves that they are watching carefully. People are watching us to see if we stay together. Come on. There are people, when you get to get married, they're going, yeah, that ain't going to last. We know him, man. He's hot-headed. And, whoo, she, you know, she's from the other side of the bayou. My God, they're not going to make it. That's her mom with them quipados over there. You know how that is. You know? And so... 
the, the thing is, let's go to the word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 33. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great ministry, ministry but it is an, an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. See, the mystery of marriage is that Jesus wants us to be one with who? With him. One with him. You see, he loves you and he wants you to to love him. How does he want you to love him? Here, Here it is. Marriage will teach you how to love God. You know what? How many of you know that you never thought you were selfish until you got married? And then if you have children, then you go, there's bigger revelations coming around the corner. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, did I touch the right nerve? You see, the, the thing is, is it for, for us, it's just an illustration of what you should be doing with the Lord and for the, and for the Lord and in the spirit. What do you mean? Don't fall prey to religion, rules, uh, sacrifice, service. You are God. You're loved by God. And that's the mystery of marriage. He loves you and he wants you to be one with him. It's kind of like this. It's like he wants to take all the rough edges. That's what trials and tribulation and all those other things do. And he wants you to be like a smooth, something smooth that he can hold on to. You ever, you ever have run into people? You know what? How many of you know that maybe God designed someone at your work to rub you the wrong way? That may be God's assignment for you. Why? Because you're thinking, man, they need to change. God's going, no, I'm going to change you while you think they need to change. And if I get to change you, then maybe they'll see what I've done in you and they'll ask you what it is about you. Because I know I drive everybody else crazy. And what's, why, why aren't you falling apart and getting on my case? You see, so that's the mystery of marriage, to be one. To want, be one with God. You see, Acts says it like this. And we're going to talk about Priscilla and Aquila. And then, then Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Now, let me just, Corinth was a wicked city. And one of the things that Corinth did, they, they, had, they would have, they would have, uh, they would have Morphodites that they would worship. That's what they would have as symbols throughout their thing. And at night, when they would worship, they would worship, they would have a thousand prostitutes come out at night. And what they would do is that's how they worshiped through sex. Okay? And so what they did is they worshiped sex because that was, that's what represented the God. And they're sick, right? Okay? And so that's what they were doing. And we think, you know, well, you know, HBO got this, Showtime got that. I don't, you don't need to watch those things. I don't watch those things. But what I'm saying is we think that's wicked, man. They had some stuff that was out in the open. That's before TV. Okay? And so here they are. They're just deprived. They're sick. Uh, they're wicked. And they would come out, and it was their act of worship to their God. And it was kind of like a modern-day animal house. Okay? Just crazy. And so here it is. They're in this wicked city in, in, in Corinth. And what happens is there, were, there, became, uh, uh, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pomptus, and who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy 
when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. And so Paul arrives in Corinth. He starts looking around to some ministry opportunities, but he had a skill. He was a tent maker. He was not only a priest, but he was a tent maker. Okay? And he made tents. And so he ran into Priscilla and Aquila because they were tent makers. And it doesn't even say that they were saved. But what happens is Aquila and Priscilla, their, their trades making tents. They just recently arrived in Corinth. And Paul arrives in Corinth kind of at the same time. And the Bible doesn't say if they're saved or they're believers. But we know one thing is clear. If they had, if they had Paul living in their home, they became probably believers. Isn't it something that, that sometimes when someone really believes and really loves God, they're, they're kind of contagious? But you know what? If you're not saved, they're trying to kind of drive you a little crazy for a little while. You know what? Why are you always happy? Oh, man, you make me sick. You're too happy. I mean, what kind of drugs are you doing? Are you nipping behind the, the scenes? What are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm drinking some of that new wine. And so what happens is they soon become part of Paul's ministry team, and they're in the synagogue each, each and every Sabbath with Paul. So here, I want to talk about three things the gospel does for your marriage. The first thing, number one, he creates togetherness. Say it with me. Say togetherness. You walk in harmony with each other, and that's the key. That's a key component. And what we're going to talk about, Ephesians 5.21, it says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You walk, that's the component of submission. Is it that you walk, you go, hey, we're going to be in this thing together. And, and really what you do is you submit or you surrender and you say, I don't, I, you know what? I, want to, I don't want to just have an opinion. I want God's opinion on this. And see, as a leader, as a husband, what wife would not submit to a husband that is honoring God, loving God, crying out to God for direction? Any woman, I mean, we submit our cars to mechanics that we don't even know most of the time. You know what I'm saying? But as a husband, you know, our job is to husband our wives. What does that mean? The husband is a vine tender. They go and they, they go in a vineyard and they see these little sucker things. They go, no, I don't need that. That's not going to produce fruit in this, in this vineyard. I'm going to do this. And, what, and people go, man, you just whacked it. No, no, no. I'm going to produce as much fruit as possible. And as a husband, my, my responsibility as a husband is to protect my wife. To protect her. And when I see something coming, then I see it. And I say, no, you don't need this. That doesn't mean, baby. I'm the man around here. You go get that old black pot that used to be mama's. And you start cooking some gumbo, baby. And by the way, take them... You know, barefoot, baby. I'm going to tell all my friends, barefoot in the kitchen. And by the way, you can have lots of children. Can I just tell you something? That's that old religious and redneck devil that lives in this part of the country. Because submission isn't anything like that. Listen, submission means my wife has a voice. Baby, I'll cook for you. But if you treat me mean, let me tell you something. The ladle may be coming your way. 
Listen, my wife, I haven't had to go submit. I hadn't had to do that many times in my marriage. That's like the Trump. You know what I'm saying? All my wife wants to know is, you know what? When we moved to Jenny's, we, moved, we left Broussard and Lafayette. We went to go to Jenny's. She just wanted to know. She goes, well, you know, they're, they're telling you you need to go there, all these people. But did you hear from God? I want to know, did you, I don't care what everybody else says. I want to know, did you hear from God? And she goes, if you heard from God, I'm following you. And so I heard from God. And she followed. That doesn't mean she liked it. That means that she had great feelings. It didn't mean that we didn't have to deal with some of my children because they were attached to a school and in sports and had their friends and all that. That meant there was, you know what? I'm submitting to what God is speaking to you because God's dream for your life is attached to my dream for my life. Am I in the right church? See, togetherness is something we have to constantly work at. It just doesn't come natural, does it? Oh, baby, I agree with everything you do. I remember one time we had a couple at our, at our, uh, at our house. And sweet couple, but that's before they had children. And she would come and she would serve her husband a cup of tea and do all this. I mean, just get out his slippers. And I'm like, Lord, Jesus. I mean, I'm just looking at this and my wife and I go, they don't have children yet. She goes, he is my ministry. And he was enjoying his ministry. And now they have children down. I don't see that happening anymore. You know, I love it when guys, yeah, I run the house. Tell my wife. And you see him about three years later and they're carrying the diaper bag. And the wife saying, by the way, when you're in the bathroom, wipe his butt too and get change the diaper. We need to learn when and how and where to say Things to one another. Can I just tell you something? Sometimes I've been a stupid man. Because I've said things that I shouldn't have said. And it wasn't the right time. And then it wasn't in the right environment. Sometimes, can I just be honest with you? When we had our first few children, I was a selfish man. What do you mean? The baby cried. That was her job. I had to get up and go to work. But see, what I didn't realize is she was working almost a 24-hour 24, 24 shift. And she was cooking for me and going to get groceries. And she was actually working harder than I was. She needed relief, and I was like, I need relief. I was just selfish. Come on, any men like that? Don't raise your hand, all right? Just... It took me until I had my, about my fifth and sixth one to kind of have a revelation. How? How do we talk about things that, and I just believe, sometimes you have to set the right environment to talk about how you're going to do things, how you're going to make decisions, what you're going to do. Because, you know, guys, look at me. If you're the leader in your house, your wife's waiting to hear what kind of decision you've heard from God to do something about. And if you're kind of like, well, I'm <laughs> uh, She's just waiting. And see, here's the problem. If you're not waiting on the Lord, men, you're just going to keep her waiting. How? 
How do I do that? You see, why is you have a voice? Maybe it's just you just need to learn how to use it and when to use your voice. You're just like your daddy. You're like your, your uncle. Come on. That old bag of dirt, he never got... You know, it's true. Listen, I've learned this. Don't ever compare someone with your mate. You're like your mama. She got, the, the older she got, the meaner she got. You think she was mean. Wait till I get with you, finish with you. Listen, instead of provoking one another to anger, the Bible says don't do that. The Bible says we should provoke one another to what? Righteousness. If we're going, we're saying, God, I want to do the right thing. And can I tell you something? The sad thing is I've seen a lot of religious people have the right words and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, kumbaya, all of that stuff. They have the right language, but they don't have the right behavior. It's not your language It's your behavior. It's the culture that you're trying to build in your family. Because see, your kids, they're watching. They're watching. So, husbands, you have a God-given right to lead. Lead in a way that she'll follow. That's all I'm trying to say. See, Acts tells us that they work together. Wow, some of us can't even ride and go on a vacation together and read a map together. I've been there. Thank God for navigation systems now. And sometimes we can get, here and I can get mad at the navigation because it brings us to the wrong place. I mean, you know what I mean? She, she is the navigator and I'm the driver designated. Okay, that's how it usually goes. But thank God for navigation. When the lady's speaking to you, she's saying, up here, you need to take a right. Take a right in approximately 6.9 miles. 200 feet till turn to the right. I told you, and you just go. She, I don't have an excuse anymore. The lady told you, I told you, what are you doing? All right. So the only way to experience togetherness is when you submit and you surrender to one another, but most of all to Jesus. And it's not just in marriage, it's in life. It goes a lot better when I submit my heart and my will and my desires to the Lord's will and his desires. You know, the second thing is your okay, your marriage is a painting of your relationship with Jesus. Can the world see Jesus in the painting of your life? The second thing is, is that it puts God at the center. Ephesians 5.10 says, carefully determine what pleases God. See, if I choose to walk in the light, then I'm not going to justify or excuse anything else anymore. Because sometimes, how many of you have ever tried to justify something in your life or make an excuse for it? 
what I'm saying is, is that in my marriage and in my personal life and in my married life, I put God, if I put God at the center, that's what he's saying. I want to do what pleases God. So I choose to put my life into the light of God's presence in the light of the gospel. What the, what the Bible says, what God's speaking. Hello. Where God, there's a track record, what God does. And all of a sudden I'm allowing God to shine his light in my heart. And there's no excuse. When God's speaking something. Look, if God tells me to do something and I'll do it, that's rebellion. It's like your children. You ever watch that subtle rebellion sometimes they have? Go get your shoes. Get the blue ones. And they come back with the red ones. Well, you say go get my shoes. But I told you the other one. Oh, these are more comfortable. And you know, I know. Go get the blue ones before I make you black and blue. You ever, see, you ever see that? The subtlety? I said one of my sons, when he lied, he'd stutter. And kind of like, we're kind of like that. When we, we're not living the way we should, we kind of... Or they can't look at you. Look at me. I don't want to look at you, Daddy. Look at me. The Bible says the eyes are the window of the soul. You can see lying. You can see pain. You can see hurt. You can see rejection in people's eyes. It's an indicator. That's all it is. See, I can't count the nights that I've stayed up telling God to straighten up my wife and then end up going to bed with a different perspective on how to lead and to love her better. Okay, let me, let me, how many of you have ever just been mad at your mate? So, well, I'll never leave him, but I have considered, I've considered murder, but not divorce. And a lot of people have. That's a big hole I got to dig in the backyard. And God's dealing with you. You know, we need to learn the power. And I've learned this. Jennifer was teaching us and just lamenting. What does that mean? To just bring a hurt, bring my pain, bring my emotions, my beliefs, and the lies that I'm believing. I've done that with my wife. She's done that with me, and it's helped. Happened a couple, like a week ago. I just started lamenting about stuff. And she was like, I'm glad you told me. But see, we're so, in this culture, look at me, I want to tell you, because I was raised, I'm, I'm South Louisiana bred, all right? Only the finest come from South Louisiana, right? Amen. Here's a couple of things we were all taught in South Louisiana. Someone offers you to give you some money, what do you say? No, no, no thank you. I've taught my kids, take it and say thank you. Because <laughs> we teach children to keep away the blessings. Maybe somebody wants to bless them. It's a poverty spirit. No. And then here in South Louisiana and the South, we all are conditioned to say, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Inside. It's wonderful. Bless your sweet little heart. That means you're stupid. You know what I mean? How many of you I'm talking about? We're conditioned almost to lie sometimes. That's my wife. She's from the Northwest up around Seattle. She goes, man, 
You lie all the time. What do you mean I lie? I'm just so conditioned to say things that, you know what I mean? Just so it doesn't ruffle feathers. Is it hot? Were you hot? Um, A little bit. Well, I'm a little hot. Is it cold? Are you cold? It's called people pleasing. You're freaking freezing. <laughs> and you, and you, you know, you can't even be real. Am I, are you hearing what I'm saying? How was church? It was, it was good. How was the preacher? Praise the Lord. He was past a disaster. You know what I mean? I don't know. Here it is. To have a God-centered relationship, we have to live life together and around Jesus, around God, around his spirit, where, where we constantly go to him. That's what we need. I need. It's not my wife needs to know. Come see, babe. Just, just stay right there. She needs to know that I'm going to say, baby, I don't know. But let's pray. Because I'm looking for direction. I don't know. It's okay to say that. But when I find out, I'll let you know. And you know what that gives her an opportunity? Lord, speak to Baba. Do whatever you got to do. Circumstances, situations, send people. Because God speaks in different ways. I remember my old Italian friend, Papa Salerno, said, if God can use an ass in the Bible to speak, he can use anybody him. That's King James version of a donkey. Don't get mad at me. I can go some other King James words. You want me to repeat? God can use anybody. God can use anything. God can use any circumstance, any situation. It's whether or not we're listening and we have an attitude to listen. Remember, Jesus is the Savior. And you're not. God, you, you can go to God before you go to your spouse. And here's the question. Do you go to God before you go to your spouse? Are you looking for sympathy? Maybe I don't know. (laughs) Grow up. Just grow up. Here's the last thing and I'm done. It demands commitment. Acts 18 verse 24, uh, uh, 18 verse 24 to 26. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he had taught others about Jesus with enthusiastic, with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Now, Apollos didn't have the full story. He, he did. He shared what he had. He didn't have the full story. But Aquila and Priscilla took him aside. They didn't, they didn't interrupt the service and go, hey, stop. That's not right. The Bible says they took him aside. And what they did is they interpreted it. And they, they just privately shared with him the message of the gospel. 
And he received it humbly as a servant. You see, I, I remember, uh, you know, I love Apollos. You know why I love Apollos? He was teachable. He wasn't like some religious people I know. Well, you know, back in cemetery, I mean seminary, they taught me this, this, and this, and this. Can I just be honest with you? My question is, when is the last time you've been surprised by God? When's the last time God's been bigger than your thoughts? Bigger than your mind? Because see, listen to me. You know what? I believe this. Our Savior's church, Eunice, God's got a dream in his heart for this campus. And it's bigger than any of us can imagine. You know, I was driving there, son, Tracy, isn't it crazy? God told us years ago. Pastor Jim prophesied, but God spoke to me to come back to Louisiana. I was up in Seattle area. I was a youth pastor, all this other stuff. And the Lord spoke to me to come back. And he'd already told my wife three weeks before. And when I remember, it was a revelation to me. So I called her and I said, baby, God really spoke to me. She goes, what did he tell you? And I go, we're supposed to move back to Louisiana. She goes, I already knew that. I go, What? How many of you know sometimes lady is better, letters, uh, ladies, it's better that you hear from God before your husband figures it out? So you can just wait patiently to see what's going on. And I go, how come you didn't tell me? Because she goes, because I told God I wasn't telling you. He had to. Because <laughs> she said, if I would have told you, I would have influenced you. And it would have been all me. I thank God for a godly wife. You see, what happens is he received it humbly. And, 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 and what happened is he just, let's go on. It says, um, in Alexander, he had taught the way of the Lord, you know, and, and taught others about Jesus with enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Didn't know about walking in the power of God. And what happens is he begins to explain to him and Aquila and Priscilla were committed to the gospel. They knew it accurately and they taught it to others. They gave up their home for the use of the gospel. Paul lived with them. They carefully corrected others about the gospel when they needed to. See, as a pastor, as pastors, and as campus pastors, Jamie and Cheryl, you know what? All their, their responsibility is bring direction. For this campus and for your life. They're not, they don't want to run your life. You know what I mean? They don't want to run your life. But let me just say this. As a pastor, you know, my responsibility is to bring direction. And if people can't receive the direction, I'm supposed to bring correction. To bring the direction. Hello. You see, at our church, we don't vote on anybody. So if you don't vote on me, I won't vote on you. Here's the bottom line. We want to love you. We want to bring you to Jesus. We want to be an example. You know what God wants more than anything? This church to be an example of what a spiritual family looks like. And it has to start marriage. It's the thing that God created between a man and a woman. That's where offspring and fruit come. That's the only place. You look at the animal kingdom. Only a male and a female can produce offspring. The Bible says even in the last... You just need to go look at nature. 
And nature cries out and tells you what's, come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't need to go there. You see, the incredible thing is, is that what's happened in our society, we're so afraid, even from this pulpit, to say something. Next month, they have thousands of pastors that are getting up. I believe it's October 8th or, yeah, I think it's October 8th, that they're getting up behind the pulpit and they're going to begin to preach things and share their heart. Thousands of them daring the IRS to come after them. Just daring them because they've, they've already, the Christian churches, pastors have lawyered it up and said, come on, shut us down. Tell us to shut up. It's about time somebody does something. We're just, <laughs> and we're like a little, scared little kid. What am I going to say? Listen, I know this. I don't have to go, I don't have to go share a lot of stuff. I, if I share the truth, you know what the truth does? Truth stands alone. And you got to deal with it. I had a guy one time come and say, Pastor, I want to do something, something, I looked at him and said, you're too fat. You're too fat to be an example, bro. You need to, and I'm, don't, I'm not offending you. Hopefully I'm not offending anybody. But he came back to me and goes, you're right. And he took a course and he started losing weight. And I said, when you do that, it's just a discipline in your life. Got real quiet in here. <laughs> I've looked at people and said, you, you know why your wife didn't want to do Because you're mean. You're right, Pastor, I am. And why your kids don't listen to you? Because you never give them time to share their heart. Can I just say something? The other day, I was so busy, and I'm, I'll bring it home, okay? I was so busy looking at my phone at night because I'm catching up with people and stuff and, and everything. And then my kids came to my wife, and they said, you know, Mom, we can't talk to Dad because he's on his phone. And my wife goes, well, why don't you tell him? Oh, we don't tell Dad. <laughs> so you know what she did? She told me before, and God, I don't when, as soon as she said it, and it dinged anyway. As soon as she said it, I didn't go, oh, yeah. I was convicted. I mean, she didn't have to say any more. It was like God was like. <laughs> and I looked at her and said, I'm sorry. And at dinner time, you know, I said something. I was sorry. And, and then Luke kind of just, he's gotten older. He's, I mean, he's just. He's wise. He's like his mom, not like his dad. <laughs> it's true. And he just said, Dad, we just want your time. Just want your time. Can I say, you know what marriage is all about? Giving time for each other. See, Priscilla and Aquila, they said, we're going to live this life and this journey together. We're not, and it's not you, your ministry, and my ministry. It's our ministry. They were committed to know, to know it accurately. See, our commitment to each other is strengthened by our commitment to Jesus. You want a great marriage? Get committed to the Lord. We learn, you know, you learned last week that we will commit ourselves to being, bringing, you know, the lost world, the gospel. And we talked about how it's beautiful. The Bible says, blessed are the feet of them that bring good news. 
Amen? Last week, I, Jamie found out I used his feet as an example. When I was in Jennings, I said, you know, he, I didn't, I don't advertise. He goes, Pastor Bob, I got the ugliest toes. So I said, you know, even Pastor Jamie's feet are beautiful to the Lord. They are. Those are beautiful feet and they're good looking boots. It's good looking feet. You know why? Because those feet may be walking toward your way to love you, to bless you. To help you, correct you, direct you, encourage you. That's what those feet are for. I walk over and go, you're loved. You're blessed. God has a mission for your life. God wants to use you. God's so excited about the the destiny he has for your life. That's the positive thing about the gospel. I don't have to be a positive thinker. All I got to do is read the gospel and it's positive. If I follow it, but there's also some conditions if I don't. But the thing I love is that there's that thing called grace. Where it says like, man, I blew it. Let me ask you something. How many of you blew it in some way this week? Come on, let's be honest. Come on. How many, are they, how many of you have ever lied in your life? Come on, anybody ever lie? Okay. Anybody never lie? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. And that's the thing. God. That's the thing about marriage. If we, Listen. Marriage is about learning to walk with God together. See, Aquila and Priscilla lived together, worked together, and they were in ministry together. And their marriage is a reflection of their relationship with Jesus. A gospel-impacted marriage preaches to the world around it. It just does. A gospel-centered family preaches to the world around it. A gospel-centered teenager that says, I'm abandoning. Or a a gospel-centered single guy, single girl, abandoned to Jesus, speaks volumes. Amen? Because, see, when you connect to God, he becomes your source. He becomes your everything. And if he's your everything, he's got great selection, and he'll bring that person to you one day. I remember praying literally in a closet and said, God, I promise, I made that commitment. If you give me a wife, I'll honor you and I'll honor her. And you know, in my prayer, it became a reality. It's this little girl right here, Tracy Cassidy. That was her maiden name, my brown-eyed girl. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know, I wasn't going around looking to whom I may devour. Hmm. No, not her, not her. You know what made me? I heard her pray. I literally, I heard her pray. And I said, man, that girl knows God. And I did see her at a camp in a bathing suit. That helped too. The spirit of attraction, you know. God gave it to you, not the devil. It's what you do with it. Hello. I'm just being honest. The rest of you, you've been trying to hide behind things. And I just remember just going, wow. And then sometimes I'd look at her, and once in a while I'd catch her looking at me. <laughs> then we started talking, and then God did it, and, and the rest is history. And I brought us together. And we got our story. Every one of you have a story. 
Maybe you have a story where your marriage hadn't worked out or your marriage is not where it needs to be. I'm just here to encourage you. Center around Jesus and see what he does with it. Make an appointment with your pastors. Just to let them know where you're at. I want to have that kind of marriage. That's open, that's real. That I can share my heart, my feelings, my struggles, my desires. Things I don't like, the things I like. Your kids do it to you. Don't they? Mama, I hate that kind of beans. Get some other, get some of that, some macaroni. Aren't they? And you know, Walmart has a demonic checkout line. So they have all that candy for a reason. Because kids manifest what's ever in. And mom's, you know what I mean? I've been there. With my kids and my grandkids the other day. No. All right, one. Because <laughs> you want sanity. Amen. Hey. If I came here today, it's just to provoke you to love Jesus. To love one another. The greatest gift God gives us are the people that he puts in our lives. That's the greatest gift. It's, it's our... It's our mate. It's our friends. It's our relationships. That's God's gift. David had a nephew. nephew. I'm trying to think of his name. I use this example. I can't think of it, but his name literally meant a gift from God. When he was going to fight Ishbenibab, who was Goliath's son, his nephew stepped up in the scene. He said, you're too old. I can take him out, uncle. And it meant that God, he was God's gift to David. And our greatest gifts are the people that God puts in our lives. Because you know what? Sometimes our friends will say, no, don't do that. Why? Because so-and-so. How many of y'all had Pastor Villain? Y'all had Pastor Villain a couple weeks ago. You know, Pastor Villain, I mean, he called me up the other day. He said, Pastor Bob, just tell me, speak to me. Tell me the truth. Not, don't. And he knows I'll do that. Jamie and I, I've told him the truth. He's told me the truth. Hello, when I get with the pastors, I'm figuring out I'm the old guy in the block now. I mean, like they're, I mean, they're trying to tell me. And sometimes I'm walking out there, oh, all them young kids, I'm going to kick their, you know, I mean, just, they don't even know what to do. And then I go back and I go, they were right. They were right. God didn't put them in my life just so I could tell them what to do. God didn't put them in my life so I can help give direction, but they would minister to me and help me not get all tripped up in the wrong direction. Amen? God's gift to you are the people that he's put in your life that love him, that are willing to tell you the truth. The Bible says, "Better listen, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. People that don't care about you, they'll just kiss up to you. Yo, you're cute. You're good. You're good. You're so handsome. You're good looking. If I want the truth, I ask my wife. How does this look? Um, you ask me that all the time. That shirt looks terrible. But that's my favorite shirt. It looks terrible. Then I go look in the mirror and goes, 
It does look bad. <laughs> then I started doing the test. All the shirts she's ever picked out for me. Everybody gives me a compliment. Man, I like that shirt. That's a nice shirt. And I'm like, then I pick out one. I don't get nothing. Like this shirt. I was at the Jenny's campus preacher. Pastor Bubba, you look like a tablecloth. I said, that's right. I'm, I'm going to serve a hot meal to the people of God today. <laughs> you know? She didn't pick this shirt out. I did. Anyway. Isn't it true? Come on. It's true. Some of you, can I just can look at me? Some of you just need to loosen up. And get real with God. And get real with yourself. And get real with the people that God's put in your life. Because you know when I found that? When I do that, it's a whole lot better than faking it. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the example of Aquila and Priscilla. You said even in your word to commit our actions to you and our plans. When we commit to you that our plans will succeed. That's what Proverbs says. Psalm says, commit everything, everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he'll help you. Father, we just come and we just make a fresh commitment to you. We come and we say, God, we're not here to stand alone, but we're here to recommit our heart, our passion. Give us a fresh vision for our marriage. Give us a fresh Outlook on what you want in our marriage. I pray for the men in the house. I pray that they would begin to go, God, here I am. Speak to me. Help me to be the leader. Help me to be the husband. Help me to husband my wife and my children. God, help me to be, God, what you want me to be. Help me what you've intended me to be. Help me not just be a wimp, but help me to be the man that you want me to be. Wives, just pray for the wives, God. Some are just waiting for their husbands to step up into that leadership role. They'd be willing to submit. But everything they did, they feel like they just keep going and they keep traveling down the road. And it's the same thing. Lord, I pray that you would give them fresh faith. Pray they would pray like they've never prayed before for their husbands. They would see the honor that they have to go before you to pray for their husbands. That you would give them wisdom. And you said if we seek you and pray that God that you would help them. So God, help them. And I pray for those that aren't married or those that just have heard this message. I pray that that they would realize the most important thing is that we commit our ways to you. The Bible says, trust in the Lord in all your ways. And and he will acknowledge your paths. The Bible says, God, I'm thinking about Psalm 1. It says, blessed is a man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in in his law, he'll meditate day and night. And there'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of living water. And its leaves will not wither. Father, I pray that we be planted by you, close to you. That our hearts would be closer to you than ever before. And that we would take on your grace clothes. We know that many, many of us have made mistakes. Many of us have blown it this week. But we're not asking in our own strength to make it. We're asking you, Holy Spirit. Just lift your hands toward heaven right now. All over this place. Lift your hands. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, just come. Strengthen us. 
We see our frailties. We see our mistakes. We see our weaknesses. But God, thank you that, God, you've come to strengthen us this morning. God, that our hands may be weary. We may be weary, but Lord, we thank you that, God, that that you are a stronghold. You're our strong tower. That we can run to you. That you're you're the rock of escape. And so, Father, we come and we run to you. And we ask that you would strengthen us, help us. Lord, let it not just be another message that's preached. And we walk out the doors and we we just go, well, that that was okay. That was funny. That was this. But, Lord, we would walk out today going, God, we want to be, just challenge me. Continue to allow this word to challenge me to the very core of my soul. That I want to be a person that pleases and honors you. And that I find my counsel from you. Help me, God, to have a hunger for your word and for your presence. I pray that for everyone here, God. Pray you would give them. I pray for just a a sensational appetite for your word, for your presence. I pray they would be hungry like they've never been hungry before. I pray they would be drawn to you like they've never been drawn before. And I pray they would even sense that drawing even now, even now. That you would just draw them. Even now, God. Even now. Just say this when we say, I receive all that you have for me. Men, just say, as a husband, I want to receive what you want to speak to me. Wives, say this when we say, as a wife, I want to receive. The leadership that you give my husband. And that you would help me to pray for him. Now, Father, I thank you for that this morning. I pray for those that aren't married, that they would just sense what's going on. That there there needs to be submission to you and honoring to you and all they do in all their lives. And I just pray today that you would just have your way. Even as we walk out here today, that we wouldn't be the same because we've had a, we've had a confrontation. We've had a, a moment with you. And we know that in a moment with you can change everything. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Meeting with us and speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.